0: This is Loree Daniel-Favors, and welcome to The Hub. We are here right now with our next guest. And I am extremely excited to have this conversation. Dr. Rachel Knox, uh, who is founder of the Cannabis Health Equity Movement. She is a certified cannabinoid medicine specialist who received her medical and business degrees from Tufts University after completing her undergraduate studies at Duke. She's trained in family and integrative medicine before pursuing additional study in the areas of functional medicine, cannabinoid medicine, and endocannabinology. I cannot tell you guys how long i practiced to try to get that word right, which is the study function, uh, a dysfunction and modulation of the most important physiologic system in the human body, the endocannabinoid system. Dr. Knox, you say all of those words far better than I do. Welcome to the Larry Daniel Favors show. Oh, Wonderful job. Right, gold stars all the way around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, t- for my audience who may be meeting you for the first time, tell us a bit about who you are. How did you become the Dr. Rachel Knox? Oh, man. I, you know, I am um...
1: At Duke, I intended to be pre-med and major in psychology, um, following in my mom's footsteps. And uh, I didn't. I took one introduction to African and African American studies course, and I did not know that I was missing my history growing Mm. up. And so I just kept on learning and ended up majoring in AAAS, uh, still pre-med, Uh, But I actually wanted to go on and get a Ph.D. in African-American studies because I had this revolutionary moment where I had intended to create African-American school. I I recognize that, Mm. you know, one thing that African-Americans are missing is is growing up learning our history, sharing an identity and recognize that, you know, putting my functional medicine hat on, that that might've been a root solution Mm. to revitalizing our community and rallying our community around a common goal for our future. But Dr. Knox, I got to pause you. Wait,
0: yeah, I got to yeah, stop you yeah. right there because you yeah. just made my Africana Studies major heart burst into joy. <laughs> I have repeatedly said that for every person who from our community who is lucky enough to actually get to college, you should either be double majoring in Africana Studies yeah. or having it as a strong major. All your electives should be in that space because yeah. we don't just need Black doctors. We need Black doctors who have what you just said, that common understanding about who we are and our mm-hmm. condition. We don't just need Black lawyers, mm-hmm. Black business people, Black bankers. We need Black professionals who have yes. an understanding about how to root their discipline in the realities that black people face so I, I just had to interrupt you yeah. and say that because um that's my way of saying told you so to all of you who doubt yeah. me when I say that okay <laughs> all Thank right God. go ahead <laughs> <laughs> well yeah
1: so I had that had that dream I shared it with my parents and they were like girl you just did all this pre-medical work uh, you're going to medical school but do it differently, right? Have Mm. the audacity to do something different. And so I only applied to dual degree programs in medicine and business and learning the business of big medicine, Mm. like jolted me. Uh, It was alarming. And I did recognize early that I was being trained, conditioned really to be complicit in this chronic disease management System. Wow. And I wasn't learning the tools to actually help people in general, but especially my people mm. get well. And, and chronic disease reassuring. management,
0: I just yeah. want to ask, just to be clear, chronic disease management is not the same thing as healing, right? Chronic yeah. disease management is we help you deal with your sickness for the long term, but that is a very different discipline than learning to heal you from the root causes of your illness. I just, okay, I just want to make sure I was following Mm -hmm. you correctly. All right, go ahead.
1: Yes. Yes. So throughout my training, including residency and, you know, in residency, most of us are training in underserved communities. So Mm. my patient population was predominantly black and brown. Um, And uh, yeah, I just got tired of Of being a cog in that wheel. Mm. I I, I intentionally pursued a residency in a family medicine and integrative medicine program so I could be exposed to other types of healing modalities. Um, But while I was in residency, my parents were already, you know, in Oregon, seeing patients in the cannabis clinics. And that just, it was, it, my curiosity was endless because Mm. my mom is an anesthesiologist. My dad's an emergency medicine physician. So conventionally trained telling my sister and I stories of actually improving quality of life for patients with patients who are using cannabis, Mm. getting patients off of prescription drugs. And I'm like, what am I doing? Um, So I, you know, I, when I finished residency, I immediately moved home uh, back to Oregon and started working in cannabis clinics as well. But, Patients wanted to know why and how cannabis worked. They wanted to know when to take it, what products to take. And they didn't teach us that in medical school, Mm. right, or residency. So I had to learn. I had to go and and, and study the research that does exist about the endogenous cannabinoid system that cannabis works on. And that actually took me down a, a rabbit hole. And I learned that black slaves, African slaves, Grew hemp in this country for centuries, right mm. alongside cotton. They didn't teach us that mm. in our Africana studies.
0: Now, what were we that growing it for? It, was it for self medicinal purposes? No, te- textiles. Wow.
1: Um, we weren't yet, uh, you know, uh, turning it into biofuels way back when. But textiles mm. was huge. Um, there was a moment in time where, if you were a landowner in the United States, you had to grow hemp. That had to be one of the crops that you
0: cultivated. I've never heard of this before. I Yeah. I know well, cotton, this, I know sugar, is, I know tobacco. I don't know hemp as a as a primary mm. American growth product. This well is...
1: this history was whitewashed. Why? Because mm. of control the Controlled Substances Act, right? Mm. Medical doctors prescribed cannabis from the eighteen fifties through the nineteen thirties and forties.
0: In this country?
1: Cannabis in this country, in the United States of America. Yeah. Eli huh. Lilly, uh, today, it's Pfizer they created cannabis drugs. Well, we wow. call them cannabis preparations, and cannabis was one of the three
0: most prescribed remedies for almost a century in this country. So how do we get from that to where we are now, where we are, cannabis is contributing to the mass incarceration of black and brown people? How do we go from Uh prescribing it medicinally to criminalizing it racially? It's a sordid tale. Uh, You know, in the early
1: 1910s, Popular Mechanics magazine promoted a new machine called the decorticator that would have processed hemp. Incredibly faster, and that was a threat to our ideologues and um, and industrialists at the time. The you know DuPont and um, uh, Carnegie Rockefeller, right? Who had a lot of investment in new new te- uh, textiles, nylon, rayon, petrochemical uh, uh, fuel, right? Uh, mm. Petrochemical, pharmaceutical drugs, big paper empires, lumber empires, because. Cannabis could be processed into biofuel, into textiles, into uh, materials stronger than steel. The first Model T car by Henry Ford was actually made out of hemp and fueled by hemp ethanol. So cannabis was an immediate threat to these big industries. And with the help of our federal government, using racialized rhetoric at the time, they drove cannabis out of favor. It was very easy to target Mexican immigrants who used marijuana and mm. Black people, particularly jazz musicians who used reefer, and and create this tale that this plant made people crazy and angry and violent, mm. so that the American public at large would also dismiss this plant. And, kid you not, the American Medical Association defended cannabis
0: mm. when the
1: marijuana tax stamp was put before Congress. They, wow. they, they requested cannabis be researched. That request was denied. So I, very ironically, in 1963, an Israeli organic chemist was funded by the U.S. government to begin studying this plant in Israel. Mm. While in the United States, it was illegal.
0: Wow. It seems that that is the the pattern for so many things in this country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just I my mind is a bit blown. I have to pick up my chin off the floor, yeah. particularly when you said that the first Model T car was made with hemp and fueled uh, by hemp products. And I, yep. because my heart now is with you know we we're seeing what's happening in New York. We see what happened in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Where state by state by state we are engaging in this piecemeal sort of legalization effort. Right. You've really been calling for something a little different, I think, which is cannabis health yeah. equity. What yeah. is it? What is cannabis health equity and how? why is it so relevant for what we're experiencing with cannabis yeah. currently?
1: Well, this is why I already dropped the hint, right? Enslaved Africans mm. cultivated a plant that helped make this country very wealthy and not to mention on indigenous soil. Mm. So nothing about the wealth that was created uh, through hemp cultivation early on can be attributed right to our, our white forbearers. Wow. Um, however, they benefited the most from Mm. this plant. So this is the real story of restitution and reparation and revitalization. And cannabis is the most unique tool uh, to invest in this process. Along with us, we Mm. along with our indigenous brothers and sisters are owed for the wealth that this plant generated for this country. Number Mm. one, number two, Cannabis can innovate and iterate and derivate into endless products. We're talking about medical use or otherwise personal use, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So we can address medical problems with this plant. But not only that, we can create clothing. We can uh, eat this plant. Uh, Hemp seed has the the, uh, perfect omega-6 to omega-3 ratio that is required to create healthy cells within our body. Mm. Biofuel we can create from this plant building materials we can create from this plant not only that this plant remediates soil it repletes soil with necessary nutrients so that we can grow more nutritious foods Um, we can use it as a crop rotator we have i I think at this time 50,000 and counting unique innovations out of this one species across hemp and marijuana right we just i call it all cannabis And that tells me that we can leverage this plant and its economy Mm. and how we're using its tax money, uh, its its tax revenue, excuse me, to come up with real solutions, right? Real medical and real socio-ecological solutions Mm. that will heal our communities, beginning with the communities most ravaged by the war on drugs. That is our Black community followed by our Indigenous and Latinx, according to the data, um, so, Chem, Cannabis Health Equity Movement, is our call out to everyone um, to get involved, but also to demonstrate, right? So, on our own terms, Chem, CHEM is a movement that is created by uh, Black uh, professionals in the cannabis industry.
0: Mm.
1: And our effort is to demonstrate how we achieve restitution, reparation, and revitalization of our communities on our own terms through this industry. Mm.
0: And now, you know, hearing you say all of that, what I, would instantly raises up for me as a bit of a fear. So I'm hoping you can either tell me this fear is unfounded or say, nah, girl, you right on track. Um, if the plant can do all of these things and anybody can grow it in their backyard, if I am, you know, you mentioned Eli Lilly, you mentioned Pfizer, if I am big pharma, it sounds to me like this is a plant that is going to be very difficult for me to be able to streamline profits through my coffers only uh so i probably might not i I might not want people to be able to have access to what it is you're talking about doctor because how that's going to negatively impact my bottom line as a pharmaceutical company i think you just solved right the
1: question which is Mm. why haven't we legalized federally yet got it right there's a lot of competing interests right now and Mm. a lot of the big players have just in my opinion been figuring out their angle
0: Hmm. And that mm-hmm. angle is and, how and they continue is, to profit while limiting yes. the ability for us to have runaway success with healing ourselves, perhaps. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I might be out on a limb here. Just let me know if I'm taking this too far. No, um, nope. Okay. Okay. So You're not and, and the
1: data is clear in states that have legalized. Particular in states that have dispensaries, we have seen a decline in prescriptions for opioids, wow. um, uh, anxiolytics, right? Anti anxiety drugs, antidepressants. We are seeing a categorical decline
0: huh. in the need
1: to prescribe certain drugs. I would suggest that that means people are turning, they're choosing this alternative that is cannabis.
0: So the data that we have thus far is and, and I don't and I'm going I, I don't know if this is a question I'll ask for now, but we're definitely gonna have to have you come back because there's so many other things I want to talk with you about but when we're talking about what is replacing opioids, are we talking about people inhaling cannabis through uh, through smoke inhalation are, are they cooking with it more? Do we have data on how people are using cannabis in states where it's legal uh, outside of what we stereotypically see as you know the the smoky character from yeah. from Friday, for example
1: yeah not quite yet. um okay. I think that's one of the gaps that states need to fill in pretty quickly um so far, states have been terrible at collecting outcomes data
0: mm. so that
1: we know what what are we we, we we know what people are using most. People are still using flour most people are inhaling most okay. um however we we do not know what they're inhaling, how much they're inhaling or when it mm. comes to you know capsules or tinctures or edibles or you know, topicals. We don't know what, um, we call it method layering when you use more than one method at a time. And and certainly people take advantage of the opportunity to to do that as well. I mean, there is a rhyme and reason for using one administration method and using certain chemical profiles and and dosing strategies to address medical problems, Um, which is why we say, you know, this is a medical plant, (laughs) Mm. right? You can use it as medicine. Um, And there is, as a clinician, I can tell you there is a prescriptive way to use right. cannabis right. Uh, that, that results in more precise uh, care and uh, more direct outcomes. But no, we don't know just yet. We, we need to study uh, clinical outcomes with a lot more fervor to answer some really simple questions. So it's unfortunate that we haven't been collecting da- the data in um, a way that we, that would be beneficial.
0: Right, right. right that and, we can and- glean answers from. And considering just how much is happening right now in the cannabis movement, you know, in your TED talk, you have a, the story of Jill that you share. And Jill is an older woman uh, who's dealing with Parkinson's disease. And you show her uh, talking to the the audience or to the camera. And she's saying, I took my medicine and this is what my (laughs) medicine does. This is her traditionally prescribed Parkinson's medication. I don't know what medicine that was. She's just reporting her story. And you see that she, her entire body is shaking and she has an inability to to control the shaking. You then show her uh, putting a, a smear of, of a butter, a cannabinoid butter on a cracker. She takes the cracker and within 20 minutes, her body is still. And she's able to. And I thought, my God, if we mm-hmm. if we have this type of of testimony in what medicinal uh, benefits there are from this plant, that might really be an aid in removing, as you said, or decreasing the number of prescriptions yeah. for opioids. Descript, de- decreasing the number of prescriptions for these hard addictive drugs that have all of these. planned for an unknown side effects. It would just seem to me um, that a movement like the cannabis health equity movement is something that more people should be supporting. How do we do that? How do listeners find out more about this movement and how they can support your efforts?
1: Yeah. So uh, go to one of our websites, chemalliance.org and that's Alliance with a Y. Um, And you can learn about uh, the educational programming that Kem provides, as well as our exciting Kem uh, Global Campus uh, pilot project, and Ooh. very, very happy to announce that um, we are partnering with HBCUs in this effort. And the first Ooh. HBCU to launch with us is Southern University Law Center. What does um, that look like? Ch- what
0: does that partnership look like?
1: Yeah. So, uh, real quick, uh, the, the the point of this sort of partnership is is because of that arc that i shared with you that story that mm. i shared with you hbcus uh many of them sit on the very plantations that probably grew hemp wow. um, and our hbcus are suffering from no and low endowments um you know lack of uh, curricular innovation for one and um communities that are mm. underserved and undervalued um many within those communities being landowners you know, looking for opportunity. Right. So at Can we recognize our HBCUs as our impact partners, um, a place where we can demonstrate places that have been most disinvested in, mm. where we can demonstrate that career passing, creating an education pipeline can simultaneously cultivate the, the future of cannabis operators of color, right, in this space,
0: mm. while
1: also helping these schools, set up, right, erect economic engines of their own for long-lasting, sustainable, uh, you know, revenue mm. for themselves, right? These schools should, should become sustainably independent and using this tool, right? This is, like I said, our tool of investment in restitution, reparation, and revitalization. Mm. Um, and we want to create community impact while we do that. We want to ensure that... Um, you know, we're, we're helping people watch small businesses and invest together into the well-being of our communities through wow. what all this plant offers. Wow. Um, all, you know, creatives can get into this space, engineers can get into this space, medical doctors can get into this space. Um, there is something for everyone within cannabis, and, and we want to expose that. We want our young people to self-actualize into this really exciting probably multi-trillion dollar global industry
0: Mm. now we we only have have... telling a different story and that, that's, that I was just going to say, we only have a minute or two left, but how do we, because I, I know that I'm, I'm going to be getting calls from, from some elders who are going to say, now, Larry, what we cannot do is have the devil's weed, uh, mixing up our young people. <laughs> we, I know that when we, there were battles for legalization in New York, that was something that a lot of the elders were concerned about. Uh, how do yeah. we, that, that idea of the, the gateway drug, and, and we only have a minute or two left. I hate that we, we okay. we're limiting it to this time frame. but how do we address yeah. that concern as well?
1: Well, that's, this is another reason why I like to tell the story that I did. Um, and one other, mm. one other thing I want our, our, our elders to know is that our United States government took out a patent in 1999 and was awarded in uh, 2003. It's patent number 6630507. And in this patent, it claims that cannabinoids have the potential to treat neurological conditions. Mm. Um, it is an, an antioxidant and neuroprotective, this patent says. It can, t- can treat conditions like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's wow. and diseases of ischemia, which means heart attack and stroke. Mm. Does that sound like devil's lettuce to you? That sounds my like medicine goodness. to me. We have been sold a lie here mm. and to my community, right, as individuals, As a community, we have to find all the ways to get over this hurdle that cannabis is a gateway drug. Mm. This is going to hold us back from reaping the full benefits of this plant that the Cannabis Health Equity Movement is trying to bring to our community. Mm. I'm a medical doctor. I talk to patients about using cannabis as medicine all the time. Wow. All the time. And we know that not a single death can be attributed to cannabis. But I can tell you how many people have died on accident from prescription drugs. We have that data. The CDC has that data. How many Mm. people die from alcohol consumption, tobacco consumption,
0: Mm.
1: right? But cannabis has not directly caused a single death.
0: And that's something I don't think a lot of people realize, that the the way you put it like that, it's just, geez. (laughs) We have been lied to. We have been Mm. lied to,
1: and I understand that we are suffering from decades of psychological trauma, let alone economic trauma and physical trauma um, because of the war on drugs, because of cannabis prohibition. But Mm. at some point, we have to say enough is enough, and you're no longer going to wield this plant, nor its criminalization against us. We're smarter than that. And while you are standing to make millions, billions, if not trillions of dollars off this plant that you weaponized against us, We are going to make sure that we benefit from this process, too, both indirectly and directly, because cannabis can help address some of the leading causes of disease in our community where conventional therapies are failing. And we have to consider that. And states have said it is our right to access cannabis and use it at our discretion. That's what New York just did. They legalized Mm -hmm. adult personal use. Yep. That means you have the freedom to choose how and for what reason you use this plant. And there will be medical doctors ready to help walk you through using cannabis to address your medical conditions.
0: Dr. Rachel Knox, you have blown my mind. I I am a little speechless and that's hard to do. it's really hard to do. I, I hope we can get you to come back. This is going to be an area that is exploding, I think, now that we're seeing uh, states like New York and New Jersey come on board. I am really interested in following this HBCU partnership uh, that you have, because I think that, and, and I don't know if you heard the first part of the show, but HBCUs and the potential that is held within them for the genius of Black people to be uh, collectively mined and beneficial for all of us, I think is just wonderful. Thank Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm I'm super grateful for your voice. My
1: pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Dr. Rachel Knox, you guys can follow her online on Twitter. She is Rachel Doc Knox. That's Rachel Doc, D-O-C, Knox with a K-K-N-O-X. And that website, chemalliance.org. That's chem, C-H-E-M, as in short for chemistry, C-H-E-M Alliance, A-L-L-Y-A-N-C-E, C-H-E-M-A-L-L-Y-A-N-C-E.org.